Crypto curious, keep an open mind, enjoy the conversation, and stay cryptocurrent. Now here's your host, Richard Carthon. Did you know that Cryptocurrent now has its own apparel shop? Well, look no further. If you want the latest gear from the Cryptocurrent crew, please check out both our show notes and our website where you can get anything from a long sleeve shirt to joggers to sweatshirts to tank tops, hats. You name it, we have some pretty swagged out gear for you. So if you're in love with our brand just as much as we are, please check out our gear today. All right, what's going on, Cryptocurrent crew? For Cryptocurrent, I'm Stephen Miller, and you're watching another part of our interview series here on the channel. As always, we are here to drive um, a connection for you to the, f- the leaders who are shaping the future of Web3. And today I'm joined by a great one of them. His name is Dan Hunnam. He is the COO at Zen Ledger. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I'm thrilled to get into this with you today. Um, but just for our audience who may not be totally familiar with you, um, give us a little bit of background. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into crypto. Sure, sure. Um, so my background is largely in traditional finance. Uh, I went to the University of South Carolina uh, from my undergrad and my MBA, and then spent some time in New York on, on Wall Street working at some bigger financial institutions. Kind of got bit by the crypto bug, uh, you know, individually in 2012, 2013 when I was still in school, um, and then professionally in, in 2015. And so I was fortunate enough to make the, the jump from traditional finance into crypto full time in 2015 uh, at a firm called Blockchain Capital. Uh, one of the largest and, and probably earliest funds in the space um, and worked primarily on their early stage equity uh, side of the business as an analyst. So I was meeting with a lot of uh, crypto companies that were raising venture capital at the time and building a lot of the core infrastructure for this ecosystem. Um, and that was kind of the first foray into crypto and was lucky enough about a year into that um, to be an ICO advisor for a project called Gear, which is a green energy and renewables token. Um, and the advisory board we had was Larry King, uh, very well-known, um, Stan Barty, who runs a, a firm called Forbes in Manhattan based uh, out of Toronto, um, and then a guy named Jim Rogers, who's kind of a, a legend in traditional finance, and was fortunate enough to get them uh, involved in this project early on. They all put in a few million bucks each and walked away with you know, 5, 10, 15 each in a few weeks. So it was a, a nice initial investment for them. And they wanted to get more uh, interaction within crypto. And uh, so that's what kind of uh, led into Hanum Capital Management, which was a early stage venture fund. We raised a $25 million fund in 2016 and then a $75 million fund in 2017. Started just to continue to add to, you know, invest into uh, early stage crypto companies. And one of the companies that we invested in was Zenlender, which is a, a crypto tax platform. I really saw kind of the use case for that platform uh, as I was trying to figure out my own taxes. I was using Excel spreadsheets and Google Docs and Hedrin notes and trying to match them up with like Etherscan and Block Explorers. And it was kind of a nightmare. Uh, so I saw the value from like an investment perspective of what they were building could be very valuable. And then in 2019, one of the co-founders um, was stepping out of the company to, uh, to work uh, with his family's office. 
Um, and I was always looking for kind of the right opportunity to get back on the entrepreneurial side of the business and really build something instead of just investing. Um, and that's what led me to Zen Lunch in, in 2019. So I've, I've been with uh, Zen Lunch for about three years now. Um, and yeah, so been in crypto about full time seven years and with Zen Lunch about three years now. Awesome. So I guess suffice to say you're a bit of a crypto OG. Uh, I've been around the block a few times. That's awesome. Well, again, I guess to break down Zen Ledger a little bit for our audience, because again, a lot of our listeners are more so crypto newcomers and people who are just crypto curious. Can you give them a little bit of an understanding as to how Zen Ledger can help them with their crypto tax reporting and uh, kind of break down essentially how it simplifies it? Sure. So I guess to, to start from a high level, the, the there's a few different things that make crypto tax reporting a little bit difficult. And, and the first is that the IRS treats crypto as property. And they first came out with this guidance in 2014. And, and what I mean by that is instead of like Forex, where you look at uh, items being treated as a currency, you're only taxed on kind of the end of your activity, right? You can go from dollars into euro, euro into yen, yen into whatever. And there's no taxable event in between, only you know when you come out. The property distinction within crypto is what makes things a little bit trickier because they are treating your ETH and your Bitcoin as separate pieces of property. So anytime you trade Bitcoin for ETH, um, you are selling your Bitcoin and buying Ethereum with the proceeds. So all these crypto to crypto transactions make things a little bit tricky to follow. When you look at crypto taxes, there's kind of three main buckets that we talk about would be dollars into crypto. So you can go from $1, $10, $100, whatever you'd like into crypto with no taxable event. Um, The second bucket that we kind of talked about would be crypto to crypto. That involves trades, that that involves DeFi, that involves liquidity that provides or involves NFTs. Um, And then the third bucket is really going from crypto back into dollars, which I think is more like understandable for most people. I'm selling my crypto, I'm getting dollars from it, probably have some taxable element to it. So I wanted to give that context just for people to understand kind of where crypto is is taxed and treated treated from. The second hard part is that within crypto, unlike kind of stocks or bonds, um, the reporting and brokerages don't really speak to each other very well. And most investors are using multiple different platforms and exchanges. You're using multiple different centralized exchanges, using multiple different wallets, you're using multiple different wallet addresses. And so what happens on Coinbase is typically just a sliver of your overall activity. And so when Coinbase or another centralized exchange provides you with a 1099B or a 1099 form, they're only going to be reporting what happened on that exchange. But for most people, you know, not your keys, not your coins, right? You are sending your crypto off of the exchange into a ledger, a Trezor, a MetaMask, and then either, you know, sitting in there for cold storage or using that crypto um, in various ways. And so the value add that Zenlender brings is essentially we aggregate all of your activity across all of your exchanges, all of your wallets, all of your blockchains into one singular place that gives you a holistic tax report that encompasses every transaction you've ever had instead of just what happened on Coinbase or just what happened on Kraken or just what happened on FTX. Um, So I wanted to give kind of like an overview of how crypto is treated and then kind of like the solution that we provide and happy to dive into, you know, know, how we do it and, and all that type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, it's really interesting the way that you guys do bring in everything. And I think that a lot of crypto tax solutions, at least that I've noticed over the course of the last few years, they've had a lot of difficulty finding ways to integrate things like NFTs and tracking MetaMask as well as every single exchange. Because it's easy enough to track an exchange. But now mm-hmm. that we're into this era where things are getting more complicated with DeFi and DAOs and NFTs, 
how is it that somebody can go about navigating the mistakes associated with crypto tax reporting when you really look at the Zen Ledger solution, how it simplifies everything? Yeah, no, I mean, great point. Uh, you know, I think the last two, three years have been really advantageous for us because we've been able to really leverage the integrations and the bandwidth and support we have. Um, and some of our competitors have not. So with DeFi and with NFTs, these things are happening on chain, um, which makes it somewhat easier to track, but harder to track if you don't know how to look at things on chain. And so what I mean by that is if you look at like a Coinbase or an FTX, typically they'll give you a CSV file or an API. So essentially the exchange is saying, you know, Steven did X, Y, and Z on this exchange. And it's, it's somewhat of a seamless transition. On-chain becomes a little bit tricky because there's no, you know, username for MetaMask. There is no username when you connect your wallet to Uniswap. There's no username when you connect your wallet to OpenSea, right? So all this activity flows through your wallet address. And so the beauty of Zenlender is we allow you to simply ingest that activity through your public receiving address. So it's not trying to open up OpenSea and you know manually enter. I bought it for this. I sold it for this. What was the fee? What was the dollar equivalent? We automate and, and simplify all that for you. So for a typical ingestion, you're looking at you know, importing your centralized activity. You're then importing your on-chain activity. You're selecting MetaMask on the wallet import tab. You're entering your ETH address, your AVAX address, your Phantom address, or whatever you're using. And then we mix in all that on-chain data with your off-chain data and to provide these comprehensive reports. So we can see that you bought, you know, whatever, $5,000 worth of ETH on FTX. You send it to MetaMask. Then from MetaMask, you connected that with Uniswap and then provided liquidity. Or you connected your MetaMask to OpenSea and used $5,000 to buy NFT123. And then you traded that NFT. So we can start to see these on-chain movements. The, the hard part about DeFi and NFTs is really the, the number of transactions start to add up pretty quickly when you're moving your assets around, when you're providing liquidity, when you're, un, you know, when you're taking your liquidity back, when you're staking, um, when you're buying and selling and trading NFTs, those transactions can rack up really quickly. And if you're not using a software, it's, it's almost near impossible to try to track this stuff with a Google spreadsheet or like handwritten notes. Um, so the value add is, is it being able, being able for us to take that on-chain activity and mix it with your off-chain activity from your centralized exchanges or even centralized providers like a BlockFi or a Nexo or a Celsius or a Voyager if you're trying to earn like centralized yield on, on your crypto. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, that's currently how we, how we treat things. In a lot of ways, I mean, it really is kind of magic to me because a lot of what you guys are doing, like it's integrating so many different APIs and so many different chains. It, it makes most other tax reporting software seem very, very rudimentary and like almost understated. You guys have one of, in my opinion, the most powerful solutions out there on the market. Um, and as I'm thinking about that, I can't help but like want to go into this little like subtopic of, okay, we're now in this world <laughs> where the IRS has started making a, a few more decisions like this recent development on staking rewards and accounting for airdrops. How does that all play into you know, the way that you guys report on on-chain data and how our wallet addresses actually are interacting with one another. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's funny you bring up the, the integrations because we essentially used to say that we were the turbo tax for crypto, right? But when you really look at what we do, it's, it's more like Plaid for crypto because we ingest so many different things and aggregate them in one place. So it, it's a funny thing to see us evolve. I think right now we, we support over 500 different exchanges, over 12,000 different token types, 
over 60 different blockchains, over 50 different DeFi protocols and NFTs. So that like bandwidth or that coverage it is pretty extensive. Um, when you look at, at, at the government, um, typically they're, they're relatively slow to move and, and slow to provide guidance. Um, so one thing that makes DeFi and NFT taxes tricky is there's no, you know, IRS section two, paragraph three, that says if you traded, you know, a cool cat for a doodle, like here's how it's treated, right? There is no guidance. So we have to take this conservative guidance around how the IRS views fungible assets and basically apply that to non-fungible assets. And, and so there are some court cases in play. From our understanding, the IRS has not provided specific guidance on the staking rewards yet. And what I mean by that is the Jared case, which is the one that you're, you're speaking about, essentially to kind of give guidance or an overview for, for people who are listening, a couple is essentially saying that staking rewards should only be treated as taxable events when you sell or dispose of your assets. And so the easy analogy is like, let's say I'm a farmer and I'm, you know, I'm growing tomato plants. From the, from the current IRS guidance, every time a tomato pops up on my farm, I now owe income on that. But in like reality, right, you can grow as many tomatoes as you want. It's just when you sell those tomatoes, then you have income from you know, selling your property. And so that's kind of the, the argument in a nutshell is that staking rewards should be treated as non-taxable events when you first receive them and only be treated as taxable when you dispose of the asset. And so they, they had a great case and we're starting to see that play out in court, but they haven't gone through federal tax court or IRS tax court. And so the IRS itself has not said that this is the way that we are going to treat things, but it looks like it could be right. And so right now, what we would recommend for users out there is to file their staking income as income at the time of receipt. That's something that, as you mentioned on the software side, we can easily automate for you. So we can see that every day, every, you know, every hour, every week, every month, you are receiving, you know, five XYZ tokens. And those XYZ tokens are worth $5 each. So we can see that you have $25 of income coming in every day. And then we'll aggregate that income, uh, you know, with your airdrops, with your staking, with your mining, with your forks, anything that's ordinary income and aggregate that together on your income tax reports. Um, so one thing that, you know, we try to do is work very closely with the IRS, um, and understand how are they thinking about these things. We want to be able to be in the room with them and guide them on here's how things work, right? That doesn't mean they're going to listen to us and, and just go with what we say, but at least they're open to listening and not just going to, you know, provide guidance without having any knowledge. Um, so we're hopeful that we'll see, you know, uh, increased and improved, uh, guidance come out, especially around a lot of DeFi and NFT activity that is kind of in a gray area where you can now take a conservative approach or an aggressive approach. But I think we, as well as our customers and, you know, potential uh, new entrants into crypto want to know that like, this is how it's treated. And then you just plan for that instead of having ambiguity. So I'm glad that you kind of took that on to ambiguity because it's a really decent segue for what I'm curious about next. And that's rug pulls. So right now in the space, more than ever, I mean, it was reported last year that we had over, I believe, $2 billion in scams. And while that's extremely unfortunate, that's kind of the nature of a young industry, right? Like you have to deal with and get through those types of barriers. But as of right now, it's really complicated, at least for some people to start wrapping their heads around how they can take those losses or show those losses. Do you guys have any recommendations, whether that's built into your software or just in general? 
or how we can better account for these rug pulls and show that they actually are capital losses, even if it's something like an NFT, where you still may have proof of having an NFT, but it has zero ascertainable value. Today's podcast is brought to you by Solads, the creators of Ladopoly, aka the play-to-earn version of Monopoly. Owning a lad will unlock a number of monthly benefits and grant you lifetime access to the club, including the lad DAO. For Ladopoly, players roll dice to move around the board, and when they land on a property they don't own, they must pay rent before they can roll again. Ladopoly has a ton of utilities, including anyone who mints a board game will receive 5% of every sell of that NFT in the future. There will be in-game taxes, 50% of which go back to board holders monthly. There's a 3% royalty on NFT game board sales with 5% royalty on NFT property sales. Board holders will also be airdropped 50 LAD tokens. Board holders will be airdropped free properties. 50% of all advertising sales will go to board holders. And 10% of version 2 LAD quarterly profits are airdropped to board holders. And one of the best parts of the game is that they will be giving away blue chip NFTs weekly as an in-game achievement. For more information, go to soladsnft.com. Again, that's soladsnft.com. Yeah, I mean... The hard part right now is that we have recent changes to how things are reported as lost or stolen that essentially exclude crypto activity. And what I mean by that is typically to report your crypto activity as lost or stolen, you need a natural disaster. And that's kind of hard to have in crypto, right? We have like, you know, we have some events where uh, liquidity dries up or, you know, assets go down 80%, but it may seem like a disaster to us, but it's not a natural disaster. So the hard part is that to essentially mark your assets as lost or stolen is not as easy or straightforward as you think it would be. And so we, when we look at rug pools or we look at projects that may, you know, may have had a good traction and then just kind of died out, the easiest thing for you to do to try to take a loss on that is to have some type of sale event on that. And that doesn't mean, you know, doesn't mean you bought it for 10, you need to sell it for nine. Maybe you bought it for $10 and you're selling it for a penny, right? As long as you have that sale price on it, we can say you bought it for 10, you sold it for a penny. You now have this loss locked in. So right now there's no unrealized losses. So if I buy it at 10 and I hold it at one, I don't have an unrealized loss of nine. I just, I'm just holding the asset. So the best thing that we've seen is either to use like a harvest address where you can send it to like a burn contract or to try to sell it somewhere, go on OpenSea, go on Rarible, go on Super Rare, go on a platform and list it for a dollar. There's actually a lot of people out there that are building a business around that. They're going up and scooping all these like junk trash NFTs at very, very low cost and just hoping that like one of them pops off to a hundred bucks or 50 bucks or 10 bucks and covers like all the low ones that they're buying. So our recommendation would be to try to list it and try to sell it. And that's going to put you in a much better position than trying to market as lost or stolen. The other topic or item that we see a lot with this is more of like scam airdrops where you look in your wallet and you just see some like random token. And what we used to say a few years ago was you should probably send that to a burn address. You should probably try to get rid of it. But now we've seen that some of these hackers or scammers are embedding kind of, you know, malicious software into these tokens. And if you interact with a token, you can sometimes open yourself up to more risk. And so within that, what we do within the software is allow you the ability to just simply ignore a transaction. So instead of having to buy it or sell it or trade it, you can just ignore the incoming 
so we can ignore that 25 XYZ tokens came in. And as long as you don't buy it or sell it or trade it or anything, you're not going to really have a, a liability on that. So there's ways to kind of get around how to do that. But typically, the, the lost or stolen or it's going to take more than just marketing as lost or stolen. You're going to have to kind of prove that with documentation. That's hard to do with a rug pull. Um, it's hard to do if, if you've been hacked. It's hard to do if you've given up your seed phrase or your past phrase. Um, and so there is, is this other element of... of was it an actual scam? Did you actually get, you know, did these assets get stolen for you? Or were you kind of a victim of, you know, a scam, right? And typically the victim is is harder to prove. You know, Steven fishes me and I give him my seed phrase. I still gave him my seed phrase, right? So it's like I still kind of fell for it. So it's it's harder to be harder to show that someone actually stole these items for you from you. Um, so yeah, uh, long story short, I would definitely recommend if you have an asset that's trading at you know, 99% down from its value, try to list it for like a dollar and lock in that loss from an actual sale versus trying to say it was lost or stolen. So real quick, just to clarify on one thing, when you're referring to a burn address, for somebody that is new to crypto, can you give me a little bit more context on how they can go about you know, sending something like that to a burn address or even um, creating a burn address for that purpose? Sure. So typically the burn addresses will be kind of live. And so for most people, you won't have to make one. Essentially what you will do is you'll send it to the address. And the burn address is going to be very similar to any other address, right? It's just going to be mostly ones and zeros instead of like letters. Um, and so the, the key is that, you know, let's say I'm trying to send Ethereum from me to Steven, right? I'm going to ask, hey, what's your address? He's going to say 0x123. And then I'm going to enter that address where it says, where do you want to send this asset to? So instead of me sending that ad that ETH into Steven's address, I'm going to send it to the burn address. And typically, like a quick Google search will show, you know, I have XYZ. I would, what's the burn address here? If you look at Etherscan, if you look at like a CoinGecko or CoinMarketCap, they'll typically have that burn address into the, the token. So if I pull up token XYZ, I can see the contract address, which is like the uh, origin address of where these things are coming from. And then I'll see other details in there as well, such as API documentation or GitHub repos or things like that. And, and hopefully we didn't get like too, too deep down the rabbit hole. But essentially that information should be relatively public, not something that you need to necessarily create. And then essentially to send it to the burn address, it's the same steps as you sending it to a non-burn address. It's just the address is a different. Just like if you're sending it, you know, sending regular postage mail, right? You're going to have an address for this, you know, business or this person, um, and so it's just going to be a different address. And essentially, what that address does, it doesn't have the ability to interact. It just like receives things, and so it's just like this black hole, for lack of better like words, of like you send it there, and it just like. It's there now and it will never change. It will never leave. You can't get it back. And so that's like the burn is that you are essentially disposing of the asset and you'll never be able to get it back. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think that is a really great clarification though for people to understand because the first time crypto investor is really difficult to really suss out these things over time, right? You have to have at least, you know, kind of one or two people that you can rely on or just guidance in it, not necessarily financial advice, but you know, general guidance. And this is a really important topic that I think everybody needs to focus a little bit more on. But now that we've kind of worked our way through the tax side of it, and I think that we've kind of dispelled in our own way a few tax myths, I'm kind of curious about like your general perception and perspective on Web3. Um, so out of curiosity, in the world of Web3 right now, 
Are there any like specific projects or topics that you find are really interesting and developing that our listeners should be looking into a little bit more? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the exciting part about Zenlander in our business is that we get to interact with all of crypto, right? Because we have to ingest all this from all of your DeFi, from your NFTs, from your DAOs. Because you can't have a 50% complete tax report because that's not accurate, right? It has to be 100%. So the fun part about my job is I get to work within crypto and not just on like one sector or one, one unique project. Well, working on one project, but that one project touches a few different touch points. So um the, the nice thing is between you know my uh, my personal investments within crypto and then through the fund and through Zenlinger, um, I get pretty good access into some projects. The things that get me excited um, would probably be kind of the the financialization of NFTs is kind of exciting to me and really like the utility of NFTs. So most people may have heard of like you know the typical 10k PFP project, which is in my opinion a little bit played out now it's just like, okay, the next thing is like a banana instead of an apple or like a cowboy instead of like a dinosaur. Right. And it's like, cool. I want you to be able to buy, sell, trade, whatever, you know, whatever you like. But for me, the, the, the 10 K PFP launch is just not like very exciting anymore. Um, so it's like what types of NFTs provide utility. And so audio NFTs have been really exciting for me. Been spending a lot of, uh, a lot of capital on like sound at XYZ and catalog.works and, and items like that, where I can interact with artists that are using NFTs to fund their music development. And so music NFTs are pretty exciting. Um, I think the utility with NFTs is really exciting to me. I don't know if you saw, but I think it was about a week and a half ago. Um, someone was able to use, I think, I think it was like 80 punks and take out like an 80 or an $8 million loan. And, and that's really exciting. Cause I think, some of us who have been in crypto for a while have a lot of like crypto wealth, but they want to be able to access that wealth to go buy a home or go buy uh, pay for the kids college or do whatever. Right. And so once you have this asset, how can you use this asset and, and where does the utility come from? And so that's something that's exciting for me. Um, and then on the DAO side, I think we're, we're just kind of really early into, into DAOs in general and seeing different use cases with DAOs pop up is really exciting for me. You see some like investment DAOs, like, the Lao or Neptune, um, you see uh, more of like collector DAOs, um, like uh, Pleaser DAO, um, um, which is like, or, um, uh, which is like super exciting. So I think DAOs are an exciting area of, of um, just an exciting area where, where a lot of innovation is happening. I think we're still really, really early on, right? So like the DAO or decentralized autonomous organization isn't really decentralized or autonomous just yet. It's more of like just an O, but we like to call it a DAO. So I think as you start to layer on this decentralization and the autonomy to these organizations, that's what gets really exciting. So right now it's people in the Discord and using Snapshot to make votes, right? It's not really decentralized or autonomous. So, but the the promise or the premise of that technology and that stack is really exciting. Um, and then I guess what's really exciting for me is when we look at these items within crypto, the, the coolest products that we've seen is really leaning into this composability layer. So stacking DeFi with NFTs, then into DAOs, and then the combination of these items. So uh, I think when we look up, we're going to start to see um, you know, ways that you can use NFTs that are really exciting, and then ways that you can interact with online communities and earn capital or, or just have kind of that fellowship or community online. I'm so super bullish on, you know, uh, Web3 um, online communities, uh, social tokens, NFTs, DAOs, and 
like I said, I think we're just really early on, but I like to kind of sit at like the, the cutting edge and the innovation layer and, and see what's happening and kind of experiment kind of on the fringe. And see, I, I really do have a big appreciation for that one-to-one. Um, the fact that you're willing to step out on that cutting edge and be you know, willing to explore those new topics in the space, that's always a lot of fun. And I, I personally have a big appreciation for that as well. Um, DeFi just never really did it for me. But again, yeah. I, I, I digress. It just is what it is there. But you have a lot of unique you know, solutions that are coming out in that space, like you know, within the NFTs that are wrapping um, crypto assets like charged particles. And then you also now have additional you know, platforms out there that are making massive steps forward for DAO infrastructure like Upstream. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're really, they really are moving quite fast. And the thing that I do want to say before we wrap up is that... Fortunately, Zen Ledger is at the cutting edge. And I really do appreciate you taking the time to come on and tell us a little bit more about your platform and how at the very same time, we can all be a little bit more cutting edge by plugging into Zen Ledger and doing our taxes with your platform. So thank you very much for that. Um, just for our listeners real quick, I do want to make sure that I mention um, we do have a uh, promotional code for you if you want to try Zen Ledger and get on it this year for your tax reporting. You can use current 10. That's current 10 at checkout over on Zen Ledger. Um, and you'll be able to get a little discount on your Zen Ledger subscription. Uh, but before we go, one quick thing I, I always like to ask our guests is, is there, a, is there a final thought that you want to leave our listeners with or um, tell them a little bit more about where they can connect with you? Sure. Uh, I mean, I think one thing that we've seen since I started in crypto is, is people that had a hesitancy to get involved with crypto because of an accounting and tax perspective. They run businesses outside, they have real estate, they have stocks, bonds, and they just didn't want to like mess up their taxes by getting involved in crypto. And so I think the value add that we provide from Zenlander is allowing new entrants and existing entrants to easily comply with existing tax regulations and have an easy, clean, simple, and, and cost-effective way to do that. And so our job is to be able to allow you to go try out these things, go buy an NFT, go use an NFT, go sell one, go trade, go provide DeFi or provide liquidity. You know, we, we, we joke all the time that I think the net new users can come in from Kanye and not compound. And so this culture and community and capital is so interesting versus just where can I earn yield on, but how can you layer those on top? Right? So I guess my parting thought is just, you know, if you're kind of sitting on the, the sidelines or having got into crypto, we'd love to have you. You know, we want to streamline and automate this stuff for you so that you can ape or degen into whatever you'd like and know that throughout the year and at the end of the year, you can get your taxes and in portfolio management handled. Um, I guess where to find us, um, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter. My handle is dhanum, D H A N N U M 8. Um, our Zenlander handle is Zenlander.io. Um, maybe we'll link them in the show notes as well. So, um, if you have additional questions or, or need help, let us know. Um, I guess the, the very last thing I would add um, is that we have a few different options for users. Um, and what I mean by that is we have more of like a self-service option. So if you use like a TurboTax or an H&R Block or a Tax Act, and you typically use that to file, we have partnerships with all those platforms where you can simply take our crypto reports and import them with your W-2 or your K-1 or your 1099 or whatever activity you have outside of crypto. We then also have a tax professional suite. So if you have a tax professional that you work with, you can simply invite them into our suite and they can simply log into your account, download all your reports and file them for you. 
And then the third option is we actually have tax professionals and tax attorneys on staff. So if you're looking and saying, hey, I just want someone to go do this for me. Um, I want them to handle all my crypto, non-crypto activity. We have that as well. So we can kind of support you, whether you're more of a self-service or you need that kind of high touch point. So, um, yeah, no, you know, I appreciate you having us on and, and we'll link to some of the, you know, uh, media or, or, or Twitter handles in, in the show notes and happy to connect with anyone offline and, and you know, be a, be a resource for you guys moving forward. Awesome. Dan, thanks again so much for joining us. Um, it was a really great episode today. For those of you at home that are joining us, make sure you like and subscribe on our YouTube channel. Give us a follow and review us on your preferred podcast platform. But until next time, we hope that you'll join us again. Stay cryptocurrent. We'll see you next time. Hey, Cryptocurrent crew. We want to give a quick shout out to all of our faithful listeners out there. It's been an amazing journey and we really appreciate your support throughout the years as we've been growing as a community. Each episode, we decided that we would start sharing some of the reviews that you were leaving for us. For today, we would like to share this review. Today's review comes from Renee Wa. I like their way of describing, detailed and simple at the same time. We sincerely appreciate this review and all reviews and would like to ask that if you're enjoying our show, please take a quick moment to go and leave a review on our podcast so that hopefully we can be highlighting your review next. Simply go to our show notes or go to our website where we have a link where you can share your review today. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information on today's episode and all of our episodes, please visit us at www.crypto-current.co. You can also find a link in the show notes. Want to stay up to date in the latest news in cryptocurrency? Sign up for our newsletter today. You'll receive daily emails Monday through Friday that are personalized and curated content specific to you and your interest, powered by artificial intelligence. You can either go to our show notes or go to our website to sign up today. Are you an accredited investor looking to invest in cryptocurrency? Crescent City Capital can help. Go to crescentcitycapital.com for more information. I don't know if you've noticed, but the quality of our podcast each week are improving. I can only thank my amazing producer, Andrew DeRitter with DeRitter Productions, who has been putting all of this together. If you have any podcast, music, or audio needs, please go to deritterproductions.com. That's D-E-R-I-T-T-E-R productions.com. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Cryptocurrent with Richard Carthon. We'll be back with more exciting developments from the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency next week. But until then, stay Cryptocurrent. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Just one quick reminder. Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the Cryptocurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes.